Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we, we open your book of life, your written word, I just pray, O oh Lord, that these words work in our lives, that the power behind your thoughts, which are in these words, transforms us, brings us a little more maturity in our lives. Lord, I pray that I represent you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 15, starting in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For what, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a harmony with one another in according with Christ Jesus. You may be seated. What was written former days was written for our instruction. That's for the church for all times. And the former writings were the scriptures. You know, we're looking at uh, the life of Calvin, John Calvin. And the reason I did the, this series is we, we saw how the, the troubles that Jesus had when he walked the earth. We saw the troubles of the early church, the struggles that they had. So I wanted to see the struggles and the difficulties that the Reformers had. The church strayed and it had to be brought back. So I thought we'd look at Calvin because he was recognized as one of the great Reformers. And the more I read, the more I study on this, the more I realize I'm swimming in some pretty deep water. Real deep. Sometimes I'm looking up and I can't see the top. So this isn't a comprehensive study, but I want us to understand the imperfections of man, even godly men, but the perfections of God, how God uses the imperfect men, even in difficult times, to advance his kingdom. And as I dig into this, I see exactly what Jesus went through and what the early church went through. A lot of difficulties. Again, Europe, there was a central power for years. It was the Roman Empire. But now that was being deconstructed. So you had lesser kings now in power. The king of Rome still tried to be the boss of everybody, but he was pretty much uh, taken off his high horse. But there, were, well, there was tension. But one thing I also saw was the great unity between politics and the church. The church was the primary influencer of the culture. 
Unfortunately, the Roman church had gone astray, but it was still a great influencer of the culture. Heavy-handedness. You know, we have to understand what these reformers grew up in. Top-down, heavy-handed religion. They saw many of their loved ones, brethren, burned at the stake. Non-compliance was unacceptable. And that's what they grew up from little on. Again, this is the restoration of the church, which makes it more difficult, the rebuilding of something. I know I spent many of my years in construction. Remodeling jobs were the hardest. You had to tear down and rebuild. Building something new was a lot easier. But here the church had strayed to the point that many would even say that it wasn't even representing Christ anymore. And then these reformers come in and they have the difficult task of rebuilding. But they were reforming one thing, something that was already established, and the Word of God is what established it. So the foundation is always there. It's just how do you take that foundation and expound on it and bring it into everyday life and be faithful to it. A challenge, a challenge for the reformers then, a challenge for the church now. And I'd say it's a challenge for the church in all times. And even these reformers rubbed each other the wrong way. So there was difficulties in that. Many times there was bitter chasms even between them. They're all enemies of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. And you have to understand the waters these guys grew up in. And these reformers, if they strayed away from the city, from protection, from an area where the Reformation was being accepted, the Catholic Church had its spies and its hitmen, and the Roman Empire... The Roman ruler, the king, had his spies and his hitmen. And people like Swingley, Luther, Calvin after a while, Farrell, if they were caught outside the city gates or traveled outside and these spies caught them, they would be taken to either France or Rome and be killed. Matter of fact, they had to travel under false names when they did travel. A lot of tension. They had the Anabaptists, they were fighting with them. The Libertines, who believed in God, but believed they could do whatever they want because God did it all. A lot of tension within the church and outside the church. That is the background of this. And it's so important because we have to realize the waters they lived in. Kind of to understand how some of their actions were. It's like us. We have lived in an era of tolerance. How has that really served the church? How has that really served our nation? 
I don't think very well. But that's the waters we grew up in. That's something that we have to sort out, or our children or our children's have to sort out. How does this compare to the Word of God? There's many other nuances that was going on, but you need to understand the big picture. There was a lot of strife. There was a lot of fighting within the church, out of the church. Lives were threatened. And if you were enemies of the establishment, it was nothing for them to burn you. I think they killed like uh, almost a thousand. That's the culture Calvin grew up in. Sounds hard, right? <laughs> Again, there was open hatred toward the reformers. Calvin, he came to faith a little later in life, in 1530. He was living in France. And I hope that for believers who come to faith later in life, you'll see patterns in how he reacted. I see it in my life. Change was immediately. He still stayed in the church. Where could he go? But he hung around with other reformers, and he studied the church fathers. He started studying about the church. His desire was to learn more about Christianity, more where he fit in as a Christian. Life does change when you become a believer. For those who are raised up in the church, I believe there comes a point in time where it becomes your own and you realize God's working in you. I can only speculate that from the people I've talked to because I came to faith later in life. Calvin, while he was in France, became a believer. His first writing was Psychocompanichia, which means soul sleep. And I will be referring to it as soul sleep after. And he passed that around the, his circle of friends, other reformers. Now remember, France did not accept the reformers. They kind of tolerated them a little bit, but he had to be careful because you never knew when that would turn and you would be burned at the stake. So Kelvin had a gifted mind. Nobody denies that, even at a young age. It was obvious. He, and Kelvin was recognized himself that he was gifted. It caused him to struggle with pride because his first writing wasn't very popular even among his friends. And some of them even criticized it and told them, you know, you should never publish this. It's not. And that did not set well with the young Calvin. He had a harsh tongue, and he used that through his written word to write pretty scathing letters to people who criticized his work. Some of them were all right, nasty. Name-calling was pretty common in that day. They, were, they didn't hold back. If you disagreed with them, I mean. But uh, fortunately, 
some of the letters were to older Christians who responded properly. And they heaped burning coals on Calvin's head with their loving responses. But he was young. But we do see his faith. I'm going to read a little bit from Soul Search. It says, For the patriarchs of the Old Testament, the promises of God may have been a distant light, but for the Christians of the kingdom of God has in part already been achieved. It exists within each individual, growing as that person develops in perfection. For those who in a manner have the kingdom of God within them and reign with God, begin to be in the kingdom of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against them. It is hidden with Christ, perceived only by those who live in faith. This perception of the kingdom of God is an essential part of the state of expectation which must be matched by action. The Christian must conform to the life of Christ by taming the sense and shaping them through mortification and purification. The biggest and I think the most important line reveals the heart of Calvin. The kingdom of God is an essential part of the state of expectation which must be matched by action. The kingdom of God is here now. It will be here for eternity. It will not be given over to anybody. And when we as believers have that expectation of victory, of that God rules, that God has won, that every inch of this earth is God's, we will live differently. We will live like we are the winners. It may not be our generation or the next or the next. There will be difficulties, but God reigns. God wants good for his people and a future. We have a future. Our children have a future, a good future. The closer they walk to God and the closer the church walks to God and serves God, the better our future will be. This kingdom of God is an essential part. An essential part of our expectations. Kelvin understood God reigns now. He will reign for all eternity as must we. Again, this letter did not go outside of the reformer's circle. Calvin was criticized, so there's really no threat to him from the king of France or from the church. And that lasted for a while. And I also mentioned that the printing press was invented at this time as well. And this is, was God's working to get his written word out. Because remember, it's always what was written beforehand was our guide, the scriptures. When you get the word of God into the people's hands, that's when you see the nations changing toward God. That's why you see the suppression of the word of God whenever man wants to be tyrannical. Pamphlets were printed. 
criticizing the Roman church. And because the king of France was in lockstep with the Roman church, it was an insult on him as well. And these pamphlets turned up everywhere, even on the king's bedchamber door. Now remember the waters that these people are living in. This was an act of tyranny against the king. This would not be tolerated. Some feel that Calvin was the author of these pamphlets or wrote them or influenced them. We don't know for sure. Evidence suggests that he was definitely part of it. So the king of France decided to round up the reformers to be punished. He invaded the printing shops that they thought might have something to do with it, seized their equipment. Arrested reformers. Calvin decided it was time to leave France. He knew his life would be in danger if he continued to do what God commanded him to do. So he went to Basel, Switzerland. Basel, Switzerland, I guess it is. Where the Reformation was well established. But still, he was a young reformer. He didn't know what God wanted of him. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to be kind of like a monk. He loved doing research, reading, writing. And there he could do that. That was his desire, to be left alone, to not be in the battle. And this served him well. He started on his first draft of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And this was addressed to the king of France. What he was doing is telling him why Christians are such a blessing to a nation and not a curse. And not a curse. Kelvin wanted to be left alone. He traveled, however, he traveled to Geneva, and there William Farrell convinced him to stay. We have to understand, Farrell was a jerk, to put it mildly. He was contentious, he was a reformer, but from all that I read, the guy was a jerk. He had a zeal for God, but he was something else. Kelvin was aware that God wanted him to do works. He decided to stay in Geneva because of Pharaoh's words. But it was not Calvin's desire. Here's what he said. In short, while my one great object was to live in seclusion without being known, isn't that like a lot of us? Just leave me alone to my own house. I just want to kind of do my own thing. Nobody bother me. You know, I don't want to be in the battle for God's kingdom. God so led me about through different turnings and changes that he never permitted me to rest in any place. 
In spite of my natural disposition, he brought me forth to public notice. God was using Calvin to mature him. Yeah, he had a little rest in Basel. He could write. He studied the other reformers. He saw that the, the greatest threat to the Reformation failing was the infighting. And his heart started going for being a uniter. A uniter. Geneva was a crossroad, crossroad community, a lot of trade, a lot of foreigners coming and going. But Calvin was working off the back of the work of Pharaoh. Remember I mentioned a little while ago he was bold and contentious. He had to understand his zeal for God. Perhaps it was because he knew so many of his friends who were killed so quickly that he wanted to have as much effect for the kingdom of God as possible. Again, when we look at the actions of some of these men and women, we have to understand the time and the waters they were swimming in. Top-down authority. That's what they were used to, even in the church. So if that's what you grew up in and that's what you think, well, this is how church is done, that's what Pharaoh thought how it should be done and his followers. They would desecrate Catholic churches, destroying the statues, the paintings. And they would even enter churches when Mass was going on and block the doors and force the people to listen to a sermon. Here's an account by one of the nuns. On the feast of the Madeline, while the bells were ringing solemnly for Mass, in her church and the whole parish and other good Christians in the town were gathered there to hear the Holy Mass in great piety. That miserable preacher, Farrell, brought his whole congregation. They came in their ordinary clothing to the church of the Blessed Madeline to obstruct her feast And when they had got inside, they closed the church and stood at the doors and forced people to hear a sermon. She doesn't sound real happy. But after those dogs left, the Christian people came back to the church and the priest said the Mass even more solemnly than ever with great piety. Those dogs did the same thing at Vespers, and they took possession of that holy church and preached there every day afterwards. And then in the church of St. Gervius, they did the same thing at the Dominican monastery on the feast of their father, St. Dominic, and they obstructed divine services in all of the churches. Was this right of Pharaoh and his followers? I don't think so. I remember he grew up in a top-down, top-down religion. But also they set up debates with the priests or the vicar or whoever was in charge of the churches. 
they challenged the Catholic Church to have a debate in the church over the scriptures. In all cases, the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church could not defend its positions. And some of the churches, some of the priests, some of the leaders of the local church were converted at that time instantly. They themselves took down the statues, took down everything concerning the Roman church, and turned the church into a reformed church. That's why we see in the nun's letter where some of these people, or some of these churches, they continued preaching in them. I think that was a far more acceptable way of growing the church. They say, I am swimming in deep water. I don't have all the answers for this. So, But also in those communities, they were represented by people. The people had elected officials, the Council of Twenty, Council of Seventy, and then the heads of each household. And these numbers varied, sometimes Council of Twenty-Five, Thirty. But the thing is, there was opinions of the people brought the city officials and they were expected to carry their opinions. And in time, the reformers got the majority and these all three groups, the lesser council, the greater council, and the general council, all voted to ban the Catholics from performing Mass in Geneva. I'll ask you, was that right? Now, we've been brought up in an era of tolerance. Is it right to ban another religion in a community where now the representatives of the community and the heads of the household voted that the Christian religion, the Reformed religion, should be the religion of our town? Something to ponder. The Jewish religion, did they let anybody and everybody come into their Jerusalem and preach what they wanted? Or were they restrictive? You know, these are questions we will, or our children, our children's children, will have to ponder and decide upon. When Christ's church rules and takes over in the hearts of people, they are to be the culture carriers, and are they not to be kind of the warden of what comes in and out? Again, how has the waters we swim in of tolerance benefited the church in America? I remember when I was young, you couldn't find a place that was open on Sunday. Now it's hard to find a place closed on Sunday. 
in spite of how these reformers were carrying God's word into Geneva, God was blessing their efforts. The church was growing. Crime was way down. Productivity was up because Calvin was teaching that Christianity affects everyday life, everything you do. Orphans were being cared for. Widows were being cared for. Those seeking refuge from France who became believers were being taken care of. So God was working and building his church even through these imperfect men. That's a relief for me. And hopefully for us yourself as well. We're not perfect, never proclaimed to be. But we sure do desire that God uses us to grow his church. Again, Calvin saw the greatest threat to this was the infighting among the believers, the reformers. He's kind of blinded to his own pride. Because with his scathing letters, which still went out, and his sharp tongue, he was causing division himself. He hadn't mastered the art that the scriptures teach of being patient and a soft reply keeps anger away. He was learning, though, just like all the other reformers, they were being matured into that God is using many men to build his church, and we're never all going to agree perfectly, just as we don't today. But as the church progresses, hopefully we can wrestle and struggle with all these differences and come to a more complete clarity. But as men, we have that sinful nature. We all have it. We all know it. And sometimes pride in getting our own way easily trumps over God's word and his will for our lives. Calvin's life in Geneva was miserable. Remember, he didn't want to be there to begin with. He wanted to be left alone, left alone to his writings. People hated him. Where they forced over the Catholic churches, Calvin said, you know, they come there because they know it's their responsibility to be in church, but in their hearts they're really still just Catholic. They disregard much of his teachings. The Libertines hated him. 
because he taught against the freedoms that they loved, the vices that come with being a crossroad community. And many of the libertines were businessmen who ran inns and that and liked the late night life. They hated Calvin. They hated him even more because the church was allowing the people from France to come in. Many of these were wealthy businessmen who came to faith, and they brought their businesses to Geneva. They were competition to the established merchants. So when Calvin would walk down the street, it was nothing for him to be spit on, cussed at, Life was not perfect. But he truly believed that he was doing God's calling. That's what kept him in the fight. But he was prideful. Him and Farrell, there were cohorts in it. And after a while, they started to have a struggle with the church, the Church of Burns which was established before the Geneva Church, and they wanted to kind of dictate dictate how the Geneva Church should be run. The Libertines wanted to take communion. Calvin and Farrell disagreed, which brought great tension. Remember, Geneva needed Burns. Geneva did not have an army. Burns had an army which protected Geneva because they had an alliance. If that alliance was broke, Geneva would be undefended. France could move in, Germany or Italy. So it was essential that they kept the relationship, a good relationship, with the Burns area. So with that tension, the Libertines, businessmen, Business agreements failing because more competition. The scales changed for these elected officials in the city. And they voted that Kelvin and Farrell could not preach in the pulpit. And as a matter of fact, they had three days to get out of the city. They were throwing them out. They felt they were causing the tensions in the church. This was a great blow to Calvin because he truly thought he was called to the church in Geneva to be a pastor there, a teacher there. And believe me, he put in long hours. They were having an impact on the city, and now him and Farrell were cast out, voted out, get out of Geneva, you're not our men. Again, God used these people, these men. Geneva was being transformed. It was affecting all of society. Calvin and Farrell did leave. And we'll pick up next time because they were called back. 
And I think it was a time of tempering for Calvin, a time of humbling him and Pharaoh. Because Calvin did become a more uniter of the reformers. His tongue was dulled. He was a more humble man. And what do we learn from this? God will use each and every one of us. He'll use us more when we're open. But that does not mean the road is going to be easy. It doesn't mean we'll have a cakewalk. There will be strife in our life. There will be strife in the churches. There has been throughout history. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect minister. There's a perfect God who builds his church through the imperfections of men. And when we come humbly and follow our God, but with great expectations that God will use us and that he is building his church and our church is victorious, God will use, use us even when we're sometimes at our worst. The greatest thing for us as individuals to do is to seek out maturity according to God's word. Seek out what, God, do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? And then pass the knowledge we have to our children and our children's children to advance God's kingdom. The victory is ours to take. We don't have to fear all the trials and troubles our nation sees. It's nothing new to God. It's nothing new to God's people. It'll be nothing new for our children or our children's children. We live in a sinful world, expect strife and difficulties. Our God has overcome the world, and we can too. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, as we study your word and the work of these transformers, these reformers, let us realize that we are to be warriors and that we can't just hide in the corner and let others do the hard work, the heavy lifting. You call each and every one of us a task. You give us a task to do. A work that you have designed for us to do before, before the earth was even formed. And let us be the people that accept that task to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.